near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of Peter from the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, enderf.org. Peter says, I was sliding down a hillside covered in leaves which made the slope slippery. I slid over broken glass bottle shards. I was not aware of the injury at first. I walked about 30 feet before I noticed moisture in my underwear. I thought I had urinated on myself at first. Since I was six, that was not an unfamiliar occurrence. I felt down the front of my pants and detected no urine. I thought then that I had soiled myself, so I felt the back of my pants and right above my belt line. I pulled my hand back and realized that I had blood on it. I walked about 20 feet more and called to my sisters who were ahead of me. I reached out and grabbed a steel picket fence because I was already feeling weak. I had a major cut at my belt line and was pumping out blood at a rapid rate. I switched hands and put my palm back on the cut covered in rust flakes. It took ten minutes for my mother to show up, then another five minutes to the town doctor, another twenty minutes to the hospital, another five minutes to the operating room. So I figured about forty minutes of steady bleeding until they started a blood transfusion. It was coming out faster than they could clean the wound before they could sew sew it back up. As I was lying on the operating table, I was looking at the doctors and nurses' feet and knees. I blinked and saw their faces. I blinked again and saw the top of their heads. I blinked and I was viewing them from 20 feet above. I blinked, then I was 50 feet above. I could see them working on me, irrigating my wound. They moved very quickly. I blinked, and I was traveling, floating, through a fog or cloud. Then I was in a dark place like at night. Although not pitch black, I could see ground fog. I was not walking, I was gliding forward. I saw a white blue light, much like starlight ahead of me. Then I looked to my left and saw my grandmother, who had passed away when I was nine months old. I also saw all of my deceased relatives with her, thousands of them. They were in translucent spirit form, 
ethereal, if you will. Yet I could make out their features. I could see through them. They were all calling to me to come to them, be with them. I told them to wait. I had to go to the light first. At the time, I knew everything that had ever happened in the world, everything that would happen in the future, and everything that was happening at the moment. I was one with God or the collective soul, Father, Sky, a higher power, whatever label you'd wish to attach to it. It was perfect love. The light grew brighter than the sun as I got closer. I did go through the tunnel of, through a tunnel of fact. At the end, the light coalesced into a human form. I didn't know it then, but as I meditated on the image of that form over the years, I realized it was myself at about age 40. Then he spoke to me in my own adult voice. He said, you're here early. I said, yes, I am. He asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I need to go back. He said, why do you want to go back? I said, I don't want to. I need to. Why do you need to? I said, if I don't, it will kill my mother. I did not mean it would kill her quickly. It would kill her slowly over years that she couldn't take back, or that she couldn't take my loss. He asked, well, okay, if you're sure. I said, yes, I'm sure. Okay. As quick as you can snap your fingers, I was back on the operating table. I have regretted making that decision many times over the years when my life became unbearably painful. That is the end of Peter's account. And there's a couple of things that I find particularly interesting in this account. Most of, of the beginning of it with the light and so forth will be very familiar with those who have been listening to the program for a long time. Um, the darkness, the, uh, the light, even the relatives in, in, by the thousands. You know, his grandmother was there and then uh, surrounded by thousands of, I assume, ancestors or, or possibly um, descendants as well. Who knows? But uh, they were family. Um, but there were a couple of things that I found quite interesting. First off, when he was leaving, instead of drifting or flying away, he was blinking away. Every time he would blink his eyes, which I take to be unnecessary for the for a spirit to do. It's not like um, they have to blink to keep their eyes moisturized like we do, but they have, but they blink. And when they blink, or when he's blinking, when Peter is blinking, every time he blinks, he's at a different angle or a different distance from his body until he's 50 feet above. And he could see all that was going on with his body. And then he blinks one more time, and then he is traveling or floating through a fog or cloud. Interesting. The other thing I find unique about this experience, and something that I don't recall offhand having heard before, but he sees in this light that he is approaching. Now, now you'll often have 
a loved one uh, in that light or God or Jesus or you know someone that you know that that you loved cared about trusted whatever um, many people have appeared in that light in that coalescence of light um, but in this case he appears as his 40 year old self now did he recognize this at the time that's unclear the experience happened in June of 1966 according to Peter's account and he is six years old when it happens so seeing his 40 year old self might not even be familiar to him but when he gets older he may be like oh I know who that was now I'm not sure about that I'm not sure I mean he knew a lot of things uh, which is another point that was interesting he knew the whole history of the world and its future not sure how that works not sure what that means but really cool really really cool clearly knowledge of past and, <clears throat> and the future and the present for that matter is available in some way okay so he sees himself uh, a 40 year old version of himself now is this himself at age 40 was he going to die at age 40 and somehow time would be a you know non non-factor and he would talk to his six-year-old self I, I don't even know how that works, but I don't know. Um, it does appear. I mean, this was put up on the site uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, so it's, I, I suppose it's possible that he died shortly later. I'm not sure if that's necessarily significant. Unless, of course, he died at age 40. That would add a level of... Um, you know, it's a, a, an interesting element to it. I, you know, again, I don't know. The other possibility is that God or Jesus or whoever um, is appearing to him in the form of himself at age 40. Now, why would they do that? I don't know. Maybe they, would, they were trying to show him that he ha still had life to live. Maybe they were trying to show him his potential in some way. Maybe... Um, it was a way of convincing him that this is what he wanted. I, you know, it's not clear. It sounds, though, like he didn't need much convincing. In fact, he's asked, what do you want to go back for? And, and he's like, because I need to. And he's, you know, there's a little bit of an argument, but kind of like a, uh, uh, I can imagine this being is acting like a mentor to, to help him come to the uh, correct answer. Uh, and uh, apparently he got it, or at least um, placated the being, because after he says, I need to, because it will kill my mother if I die, um, he just asks, well, okay, are you, if you're sure, and he says, yes, I'm sure. And as quickly as you can snap your fingers, he's back on the operating table. And an interesting side note, sad one, but also kind of interesting he says I have regretted making that decision many times over the years when life became unbearably painful perhaps many of us would regret even coming to this earth um, if we knew what we were going to go through but I suspect I strongly suspect that were we to go on the other side and see 
why we came and see our whole vision of what we're capable of, I suspect we would also sigh and say, okay, I better go back. I've got to accomplish that. I've got to. And so we would almost certainly return, would be my guess. Okay, let's do um, one more. This one's not quite as long, but it's uh, but it's still a good three paragraphs. So this is Jim, also from uh, Enderf.org. Jim says, when I was in second grade, I was stricken with rheumatic fever. I was only five or six years old at the time and living with my foster parents. This was due to my mother's suicide. I was young at the time, but found over the years since then she had blamed herself for my father's heavy use of alcohol. But anyways, the rheumatic fever caused me to have a very high fever and I missed most of the second grade. I remember that I had to repeat it after I was better. But sometime during my illness, I left my body, an out-of-body experience, and found myself across the street in a wooded area that opened into a beautiful meadow with a small pond at the center of it. Around the pond, there were other children at or around my same age. The children were laughing and playing cheerfully around the edge of the water, and they seemed not to have a care in the world as they invited me to join them, even though they never spoke a word or even made eye contact with me. I just knew that somehow I should be part of this newfound happiness. I remember watching a boy and a girl on the opposite side of the pond. They were skipping and running, and there seemed to be traces of glitter or gold that trailed off them, only to quickly fade away when they stopped to investigate a flower or frog that they would see on the pond's edge, but quickly reappear once they moved again. The colors in the meadow were very brilliant, and there seemed to be a warm yellow glow enveloping the whole area. There were also many animals, and they too seemed to be caught up in the sheer love that encompassed the whole area. Just as quickly as I began, I was out of the meadow and found myself looking down at myself, standing in front of my foster mother. She had both her hands on my shoulders. This is all I remember. I was told a few years later that the fever had caused a heart defect and that I would need to have open-heart surgery before I reached the age of 18. But when I was about to have the surgery at age 17, the doctors and cardiologists found that my heart had healed itself. I wonder to this day if the good Lord had started healing me the moment that I stepped into the meadow. I returned to the meadow area as a young man and found that there had never been a meadow or a pond there. The experience has stayed with me for 44 years now, and I, it seems as clear today as if as it did when it happened, and it never fails to lift my soul when I reflect back on it. I've never spoke of this experience until now, and only felt compelled to do so after reading some of the other testimonials on this website. I guess I kept it to myself, because to me, it's been like a treasured gift that only I could appreciate and would find it hard to explain to somebody who might be closed-minded or shallow in nature. And that is the end of 
Jim's experience. And I think Jim is right that to someone who is not prepared to hear it, it, it would be very difficult for them to understand. But to those of you who have been listening for a long time and are familiar with near-death experiences, I think you'll find this both beautiful and comforting. It's interesting that Jim passes through these, you know, into this uh, wilderness area, and he apparently goes into a place that is not here on earth because, you know, when he went and checked it out later, there was never any meadow or pond there, let alone a place for children to be playing and skipping. But I think that uh, little patch of wilderness that he walked into acted as a gate to the other side. And I think it would have been a comfortable um, transition uh, approaching it that way. However, it would lead possibly to the question of whether he had died at all. And I don't know how that clears up. I have heard of people going through pretty extensive near-death experiences before, uh, or pretty uh, large portions of it before realizing they were dead. And uh, mostly that comes from those who don't believe there's anything beyond. And so when they're experiencing stuff, they're just like, well, I'm, apparently I lived. And they don't even give it a second thought. So that's kind of interesting. The way the children are described on the other side or at, on this water's edge is really interesting. Um, not only are they able, able to communicate with him without looking at him or speaking anything, but they are laughing and they are cheerful. They're dancing around this water and having just the time of their lives. They're so filled with love that there seems to be traces of glitter or gold that trails off them and fade away behind them. Just the imagery is beautiful, beautiful. And uh, they would stop occasionally to investigate a flower or a frog. Very childlike. And he says also that there were animals, many animals, and they too seemed to be caught up in the sheer love that encompassed the whole area. And the next thing he knows, he is where he, is, he can see his foster mom. And he, and then there's no more memory beyond that. I suspect that there was more experience uh, because often pieces of, of memory are taken. And I say it that way because you can't just say that, that they just forgot over time or it just faded with time. That doesn't usually happen with near-death experiences. There are pieces of the experience that are just removed they don't come back, um, at least not, you know, with the memory of the near-death experience. And the rest of the experience is so vivid that it's unforgettable. Anyway, very interesting. So if you would like to contact the podcast, either to share your own experience, to ask a question, or if you would like to be interviewed uh, for your near-death experience, uh, John has conducted some wonderful um interviews with experiencers and and would love to interview more if you'd like to contact me you can do so by emailing chaz at ndepodcast.org you can also 
support the podcast by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to and uh, sorry, yeah, patreon.com slash NDE podcast to become an ongoing monthly contributor. And with that, thank you, you guys, so much for listening.